There are some events in life that dramatically impact us. For instance, when one marries, one is never the same again. Now, I don't mean that as a judgment statement, nor is it a testimony on my part. I'm simply saying that when a person marries, their life is changed. Dan Bennett wrote, Some girls who are an armful during courtship become a handful after the wedding ceremony. Socrates wrote, By all means marry. If you get a good wife, you will become very happy. If you get a bad one, you will become a philosopher. So marriage changes our lives. It dramatically impacts us, and we understand that. And then children enter into the equation, and things have changed again. For instance, the way we spend our time. It seems when children are born, when we want to sleep, they want to eat. We no longer go turkey hunting on Saturday morning. Instead, we are at soccer practice. So our our schedule changes dramatically when children are born. And then our finances are changed as well. Some of you are driving old cars, sitting on old couches, trying to pay off student loans and weddings and music lessons and all those kinds of things. So when children come into our lives, it dramatically impacts and changes our life. And then grandchildren come. And we are changed again. The uh, it's, it's interesting to me that the time I did not have for my children... I seemed to find for my grandchildren. And the money I did not have for my children, I can find something for my grandchildren. So they also change our lives, has an impact on our lives. But the, the single event that has the greatest impact on life, the one event that great impact on the world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. What I want us to do today as we look at this story is to ask three questions. The first question I want us to consider is this. Is there evidence for the resurrection? You see, when there is some kind of significant claim, we always want to know, is there evidence to support the claim? 
We are told that Columbus discovered America. We are told that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. We are told that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, is there any evidence to support that claim? Is there any evidence for the resurrection that a man died and rose from the grave? Is there any evidence? If you look in verse number 6, He said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. The last week of Jesus' earthly life was an interesting and strange week. When he came to Jerusalem, he was widely received. The people received him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 21, verse number 9, And the multitudes going before him, and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So when Jesus then came to Jerusalem, he was received as the people, the Bible says, strawed palm branches in front of him. They put their clothes in front of him. They cried out, this is the long-anticipated Messiah. This is the one who has been promised. And so they welcomed him as the fulfillment of the prophecy. But as the week wore on, things began to change. And they went from reception to rejection. You know the story of Judas as to how he betrayed Jesus, though he was one of the disciples. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver, which is about $18. It was the price of a slave at that time. So Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And then the Bible says that the leaders of the people rejected him as well. The Scripture says in John 19, 6, When therefore the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! So Jesus now came into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week. He was received by the people. And now then, later in the week, the Scripture says that the leaders turned against him, crying out, Crucify him! But it didn't stop with the leaders. The Bible says that the crowd also joined in the course. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! I have often wondered in that crowd because the crowd received Jesus. They welcomed Him as the promised Messiah. Was there in that crowd some who had benefited from His ministry? Was the man present whose daughter had been brought back to life by Jesus? Was the woman present who had been healed from the issue of blood? Were some of those people present who had benefited from Jesus' ministry and now they are crying out, crucify him? They led him to Golgotha, and there they crucified him. It says in verse number 6, He is not here. He has been crucified. He has risen. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Well, we don't have any problems believing in the crucifixion, do we? I mean, that was common. There were many people who were crucified, so we have no problem with the crucifixion. It's the resurrection that gives us the problem. Is there evidence for the resurrection? Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, To these... 
he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. The Amplified Bible reads, by a series of many convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidence and infallible proofs. Well, what is it? What is that unquestionable evidence? What is the infallible proof that he who was dead is now alive? Well, let me give you some things to consider. How do you answer the question about the empty tomb? The tomb was empty. So how do you explain the empty tomb? Well, there are those who have concluded that the body had been stolen, that someone had come and taken the body of Jesus. It was taken by whom? Who took it? And in John's account, when John came to the tomb and looked inside, he mentions that the grave clothes of Jesus are lying there. Now, surely had someone stolen the body of Jesus, they would not have unwrapped it and left the grave clothes there. They would have taken Jesus with the grave clothes. But John mentions that the grave clothes are there. So I, I don't think that he was stolen. There are others who have said, well, he swooned. He really was not dead at all. And when they put him in the tomb, then he was revived as a result of the coolness of the tomb. And so he made his way out of the tomb. Well, going back to John's report, John mentions that the grave clothes are there, and he says that they are lying flat. Now, had Jesus swooned and comes back to life, don't you think he would have unwrapped himself from the grave clothes? And probably the grave clothes would have been lying over in a pile somewhere. And in Jewish burial custom, they used a hundred pounds of spices to bury someone. So spices would have been strewn around the tomb, but that is not mentioned. It says that the grave clothes are lying there flat. You know, the truth is, the most plausible explanation when one seriously asks the question is the resurrection. I think that is the best explanation of the empty tomb. What happened to the body? Did someone steal it? Did he swoon? No, I think that he rose from the grave. Then there's another evidence, and that is the changed disciples. Now, when I look at the disciples before the resurrection, they responded to the things that were happening in a cowardly fashion. In fact, when Jesus was arrested, the Bible says that they fled in Matthew 26. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now, it is after the resurrection that you see a different kind of disciple. These who had responded in a cowardly fashion now are responding with great courage. That normally doesn't happen when the leader is dead. If the leader is dead, then the followers don't all of a sudden get courage. And yet that is exactly what happened to the disciples who went out to turn the world upside down. John Stott wrote, Perhaps the transformation of the disciples is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. When Jesus died, they were heartbroken, confused, and frightened. But within less than two months, they came out of hiding full of joy, confidence, and courage. What can account for this dramatic transformation? Only 
the resurrection. Another evidence is the change of the disciples. Another evidence is eyewitnesses. You might say, well, did anyone see him afterwards? Did you know, according to the Bible, and this was written not long after the resurrection, according to the Bible, there were 500 who saw the resurrected Christ at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Paul wrote, He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So according to Paul's report, he says that the resurrected Christ appeared to 500 brethren at one time. He said, now some of them have died, but the point that Paul is making is that most of them are still alive, and if you want to interview them, then you are free to do that. 500 eyewitnesses at one time who saw the resurrected Christ. Another evidence for your consideration is the Lord's Day because the Jewish believers changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday to commemorate the resurrection of the Lord. That's the reason that we worship on Sunday. We worship on Sunday because it is a testament to the resurrection of Christ that He rose on that day. Then their personal testimonies. There are many of you who would stand today if given the opportunity to say, I, I believe that He is alive because of what He has done in my life, because of His presence in my life. I, I was praying this morning, and it's my prayer for you as we worship today. And I, I don't know what is on your mind and the reasons for all that you're here and all those things. I know it's Easter. But as I was praying today, I said, Lord, may they experience the resurrected Christ through the music, through the message, through the fellowship of people around them. May they experience your presence. Many of you would stand and say today, oh, I I know that he is alive because of his presence in my life, because of his provision. And you could give account as to how God has so graciously provided for you during those times of need in your life. You could stand and talk about his power, how he has powerfully ministered to your needs and met your needs in life. Is there evidence? I believe there's overwhelming evidence. If you seriously consider it, Lee Strobel was an atheist. He was an attorney. And uh, so he was going to do a study to try to determine if Jesus were indeed, had he risen from the grave as an attorney. He wrote the book, Case for Christ and Case for Faith. But in his book, Case for Christ, he wrote, I had read just enough philosophy and history to find support for my skepticism. A fact here, a scientific theory there, a pithy quote, a clever argument. Sure, I could see gaps and inconsistencies, but I had a strong motivation to ignore them. A self-serving and immoral lifestyle that I would be compelled to abandon if I were to change my views and become a follower of Christ. Candidly, the problem by and large is not with the evidence. The problem is with us. Some of you do not believe in the resurrection because you don't want to believe in the resurrection. 
It is not a matter of evidence. It is a matter of our hearts. Second question. What does it mean? Okay. You say that he rose from the grave. So what? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Well, it means new life. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's what Jesus said. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Folks, listen to me. There are some who believe that if I were to become a Christian, my life would be over. I mean, it is going to be a boring existence from that point. That is not true, nor is it what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. In Christ, we have purpose for life. You want purpose for your life. Why am I here? Ladies and gentlemen, it is the resurrected Christ who gives us purpose. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. It is, it is this resurrected Christ that will give purpose to you. Do you want purpose in your life? I mean, not just to go through life that is meaningless. Do you want real purpose? Then it is Christ who gives us purpose. It is Christ who gives us passion. If you want a life filled with passion, that it is, it is the resurrected Christ who gives us that passion, that I am here for a purpose and I have passion, it is the resurrected Christ that gives us possibility. A little boy was asked a question by his teacher, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, possible. The teacher said, possible? What do you mean possible? He said, my mama says I'm impossible. Folks, let me tell you something. In Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, you are a possibility. He makes life possible for us. He gives us purity as we look to Him. He provides us with the power in life that we need. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He gives us the power that we need for life, and then He gives us permanence. He lives, therefore we live. Because He lives, you and I are promised life in Him. Dwight L. Moody wrote, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. Oh, listen. When we close our eyes and are lowered in the grave, that's not the end. That's not the end. The Lord has promised us heaven. And we put our faith in Him, and then one day we go to be with Him. What does the resurrection mean? It means forgiveness, that we can be forgiven of our sins. The Bible tells a story about a man who was crippled. He was brought to Jesus by his friends. And the Scripture says that Jesus said, My friend, your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus does. He forgives us. Wouldn't you like that? To be forgiven? Thursday night, we celebrated Monday, Thursday, and had the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of the Lord's forgiveness. Matthew 26, 28 says, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Oh, I'm so thankful God forgives me. I'm thankful that in His grace that I am forgiven of sin. That's what He provides. And then what does it mean? It means hope. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, sometimes I think we've just about lost hope. And yet Christ gives us hope today. He gives us hope presently. Our hope is in Him. Sometimes we think our hope is in politics. If I get this person elected or that person elected, or if we get this legislation passed or that legislation passed, that that's going to solve our problem. Our hope's not in politics. Sometimes we get to thinking that our hope is in our 401Ks, and if I have enough money in the bank, then I am secure. I'm going to be all right. Our hope's not in that. Our hope's in Jesus. I was reading in my devotion time this morning, for whatever the reason, I don't know, it seemed like it resonated in my heart. But in the psalm, I think it's Psalm chapter 30, when the psalmist mentions that there is weeping in the, mor- uh, in, in the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Folks, you might be going through a difficult time. You might be having some difficulty in your life. And you might be going through that time of weeping in your life. But I want you to know that in Jesus, joy comes in the morning. Hope presently and hope eternally. I have hope for heaven that one day I'll go there. So what does it mean? It means new life, forgiveness, and hope. Third question, how does one respond as I've read the story of the resurrection, there are three prevalent emotions that I see in the response of those who were there. And the first is wonder. Something happened that the disciples didn't understand. Now, we see that in verse number 8. There are three words there that I'll point out to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So the first response was fear. The Bible says that when they got to the tomb and they saw that something had happened, they did not understand what it was. And the Bible says that they were afraid. The Greek word that is used there means that they were so frightened they wanted to run away. They got to the tomb. They got to the cemetery. The tomb is empty and they are fearful. They want to run away. The second word that's used there is astonishment. The Greek word here is a holy frenzy or enthusiasm. They were, they were enthusiastic. They saw it. They were scared. And they were excited. And then the third word is amazed. They were amazed by what might be. So when they got to the tomb, the Bible says that their emotional response was that they were fearful. They were, they were scared because they didn't understand it. They were astonished. They were enthusiastic about it. They were excited about it. And then it says that they were amazed. Maybe he is alive. They were amazed. Do you respond to the story of the resurrection of Jesus with wonder? Here, I guess, is my concern. I know and you know we have heard the story so often. We are so familiar with the story that it has largely lost its wonder. And so rather than taking off our shoes because we stand on holy ground, we take pictures because it's lost its wonder. 
Folks, if there's one thing that I could pray for some of you today, it's that the wonder might be restored to you. That again, Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave. That wonder that overwhelms you. There was wonder. The second response was joy. Great joy. Those women who came to the tomb on that first Easter morning came to anoint the body of Jesus, but they left with great joy. The Scripture says, And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Those disciples who had fled when Jesus was arrested, who were fearful for their own lives, after they realized that Jesus was alive, the Bible says that they responded with joy. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why was that? Why was there joy? Why was there such joy, such great joy with the women, such great joy with those disciples? Why? Well, because sin had been conquered. When Jesus was on the cross, His last words were, It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, It is finished. He had finished the cost of man's sin. He paid for it. And all of my sins were placed on the cross, and all of your sins were placed on the cross. And the Bible says that Jesus paid for my sins, therefore He cried out, It is finished. Sin is conquered and death is defeated because He's alive. The third response is hope. It's a message of hope. In your illness... He is your healer. In your marital division, He is the uniter. In your finances, when you have more bills than money, He is your provision. And in our sin, He is the Savior. Therefore, we have hope in Him. Jeremy was 12 years old. He had a learning disability, thus he was still in the second grade. He also had a terminal illness. At class he drooled. Now the kids made fun of him. The teachers found him difficult to teach. One day the teacher gave the assignment to the class as she passed out some plastic eggs. And she said to them, I want you to put something that signifies or symbolizes life in your egg and bring it back to class tomorrow. The next day the kids came and some of them had flowers in their eggs, some of them had butterflies in their eggs and so forth. When she opened Jeremy's, it was empty. There was nothing in it. And the teacher said, Jeremy, your egg is empty. There is nothing in it. To which he replied, yes, but Jesus' tomb was empty too. Two months later, he died. When they had his funeral, his class came. And at the conclusion, the class went forward to the casket. And they placed 19 empty eggs 
on Jeremy's casket. He is not here. He has risen. What does it mean? New life. Because old things are passed away and all things become new. What does it mean? Forgiveness. Jesus took all your sins upon himself that he might give to you eternal life. What does it mean? Hope. Because of Jesus, we have hope. Our Father in God, we come to this time as we consider the resurrection of our Lord. To ask the question, so what? And Lord, today we believe that if we consider the question, then we understand that we must make a decision about Jesus. And I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will guide us in that in Christ's name. Just a moment, we're going to stand and the choir is going to sing. We'll extend an invitation. My friend, if you're here without Jesus Christ as your Savior, what a wonderful day, what a wonderful time to commit your life to Him. Would you do that? You might not understand all about it. But the staff will be here to pray with you and talk with you. There are some of you who need a church home. You need a church family. We'd love to be that. If God is leading you, we'd love to be your church family. Our doors are open to you. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. And as we stand together, the choir will sing. As they sing, would you come today? There will never be a better time than right now. Will you come today making your commitment to the Lord? I'll greet you as you come.